People have so many different hacks for getting a good night's sleep. And it's not to say that those don't work, but I really think you cannot discount the power of just good quality sheets and how much that can transform your sleep. I told you guys about these before, but as far as I'm concerned, Bowl and Branch are the best sheets on the market. And I think for me, the thing that like makes them so good is that they're really soft and luxurious while also being breathable. So they kind of work in all weather and their signature sheets are their best seller. They come in 14 versatile colors in all sizes from twin up to California King. I have them in the color stone. I have them in the color mineral. I have the waffle blanket. I have so many things from this company. Everything is just quality and their sheets are made with the finest 100% organic cotton and completely free from toxins. Also, they said this, but I didn't really get it until I started using the sheets. They do get softer with every wash and you'll see that. I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and every single person has been a repeat customer. And there's a 30 night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash style and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use promo code CBC at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code CBC. Exclusions apply, see site for details. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. Courtney and Kim take Miami season three. As you know, we left you off with episodes two through five, most recently, the Rob Kardashian Rita Ora breakup. What a wild ride we went on last episode. There was so much happening. I feel like we... We're so excited to talk about the Rob stuff in a way that we didn't expect to be because I think so many times that we're having these conversations about Rob, our memory of exactly what happened and exactly how it played out is so fuzzy. And so we'll often touch on it and we often say like, and you know, things are about to get sticky here, but like, we don't really know for sure if that's what's happening or if that's just the way our brains are remembering it. And so I think that to have really concrete examples of what was happening with Rob was like, a release that we didn't know we needed. Well, also we went into the recording of last episode thinking there was a legitimate possibility that we were going to get through episodes two through 12 in one episode. Meanwhile, I think we got through three. Like (laughs) one thing about us and say it with me, folks, we're going to tangent. Um, I never thought we were going to go through every episode (laughs) ever. I know you, you were always so much more realistic about it than I am. I just never, ever underestimate our ability to get really stuck on a specific topic or a specific point. And both of us have it in us to continue to expand upon one thing until we both feel really settled in what we're saying and what we're feeling about (laughs) the Kardashians. And so never once did I think we were going to make it through an entire season without doing that multiple, multiple, multiple times. Well, the Kardashians, yes, but also like specifically in real life, kind of just about anything. Like we will hammer a subject down like no other until we are 100% sure that all of our points are fully seen, heard, understood. Well, and also I said this last episode, but this is probably my favorite season of Kardashian in its entirety. Like I just found every single episode to be so fun, so nostalgic, just amazing, amazing content. And so that was the other reason that I never expected to make it through the entire season is because I had takeaways of things that weren't necessarily analysis points, but just like things that I wanted to talk about in general. Well, right. And also as discussed, this was kind of the season where Kim started to become the Kim we know today. Right. Well, and also, sorry, one other thing. 
you have a little bit of Scott and Courtney fatigue. I don't have that. Like I know that things with them gets very, very repetitive. And a lot of the conversations we have about them are the same conversation. I just never get sick of having that conversation. Well, just to clarify, my fatigue is not at all in our conversations. I could talk to you about nothing for forever. It's just in watching them. Yes, it is like repetitive toxicity in a way that I find to be so annoying, but I'm going to harness your energy because there's a lot more where that came from. A hundred percent. Okay. So starting where we left off with episode six, this is another one we're kind of going to breeze through. It's certainly not a scene by scene. The main plots here are number one, Kim and Chloe being upset with Courtney for feeling as though she's kind of using the kids to get out of some of their work commitments. Number two, Kim finding out she's allergic to Mercy and ultimately having to give her away to Chloe's assistant. Third is Chloe's growing addiction to these Cortadito coffees in Miami. And lastly, we have the explosive blowout fight between Courtney and Jonathan. Listen, the thing that I'll say about this episode is, was it the best from an analysis standpoint? Of course not. Was it one of those episodes of Kardashians that has stuck with me throughout the years? A million percent. Of course. There's nothing really profound to say, but such a fun time to watch. I mean, and certainly dynamics that still exist. Like the fact that we were watching this 2012 episode where Courtney is using the kids and doesn't want to commit to things with work and wants to get out of things and not share the same responsibilities. And like that fight has only continued to mutate and and become what it is that we see now. Like, not that this is the start of it necessarily, because I still think that it hadn't fully taken shape. And I also think it probably started more with Mason and it's just continued with Penelope. But like, I mean, talk about a history repeating itself over and over and over again. This was one of those plot line wise, where if you just had the audio and you obviously couldn't see what everyone looked like and what the deal was, you could easily think this was a 2020 fight. The only reason that I wouldn't say that is because Kim was much kinder to Courtney in this era of the fighting than she would have been now. Well, right. I guess this was kind of the beginning of it, whereas that was a frustration that only continued to grow, obviously reaching a boiling point with the Kim-Courtney brawl that will never be forgotten. Well, the other thing here is that Kim didn't have kids. And so anytime that Kim was getting frustrated with Courtney in terms of prioritizing her kids or the way that she was handling work commitments, she could only argue with her to a certain point before Courtney says to her, well, you don't know how it is. You don't have kids. And that was like, you know, the ultimate full stop because Kim can't say anything back to that. The second that Kim had North and figured out her own work-life balance that worked for her and allowed her to keep growing her empire and saw Courtney doing it in a very, very different way. That was all the permission that Kim needed to then take it to the next level. Well, that's one of the most ironic things about the season because so much of either Kim's frustrations with Courtney or things she's specifically coming for her about have to do with not the kids, obviously, but the way Courtney's acting as a result of having kids. And then of course the kicker, as we find out in the finale, is that Kim's pregnant. And so it's, it's very interesting, the evolution of that. Right, exactly. The other plot of this episode is the Courtney and Jonathan fight, which I feel like we spent so much time last episode saying like, 
you know, we don't actually know what Kim's relationship with Jonathan is like these days. Like, of course he's still around. Of course there's still something there, but I couldn't tell you anything about the dynamic or the frequency of how often they speak or see each other. And right after we released the episode was Jonathan's birthday and Kim posted a bunch of throwbacks of the two of them, which I was like, you know what? I think that typically I would have been like, oh, she kind of has to do that. But after watching the last couple of episodes of them in Miami, I was like, God damn, I love them together. Well, it's so funny you say that because in one of these episodes, I have no idea which one it was. Obviously, it wasn't a noteworthy enough thing to write down, but Kim is trying to get him on, I think, a dating service. And so she's asking him for his date of birth. And he says, February 21st, 1974. And so when she posted, I was like, I actually knew it was his birthday because <laughs> like we had just watched him put in his birthday. And second of all, he turned 50. This was Jonathan's 50th birthday. Wait, <laughs> you know, it's weird because obviously doing the math, that means that he was 38 when these episodes were filmed. And in my eyes, he was like 26. Gun to my head, I could not tell you how old Jonathan was at any single point in time. Like him being 50, it's not that it's like fucking with my perception of reality or like how old I thought he, like I just literally look at Jonathan and I'm like, you are like age ambiguous. Yes, he is so age ambiguous. He could be 25, he could be 60. We'll never know. <laughs> right? We just found out, but like, yeah, without that. <laughs> if he did not say that, I would literally, I've never, by the way, I've never given one ounce of thought to how old he is either. No, I think this is the first time I even considered that he ages. <laughs> I just thought he just was, I thought he was consistently like 41. Yeah, like just, that makes sense. Right? Like in the earlier seasons, like probably season one through, let's say eight, he's 27. And then seasons nine to current, he's 43. You know what I mean? Like that's yes. how he aged. He aged in blocks. Yes, he aged in blocks. <laughs> oh my God, I can't wait for his next block. That's crazy. Wait, by the way, I think that if you're him, that's such a compliment. The only way that that's not a compliment in in this scenario in this setting and also kind of in general is like, okay, like, it's not like somebody's saying like, oh my God, he looks so incredible for his age. I can't believe he's that old. It's like you act so many different ages and look so many different ages that we kind of can't pinpoint it. Like it's not necessarily an insult, but it's certainly not a compliment. If I'm him, my response to that is, yeah, I keep you on your toes. That's fair. Listen, one thing about Jonathan he was keeping us on our toes because he fucking laced into Courtney in this episode. By the way, Jonathan was so fucking wrong, so wrong to the point where like when Courtney slapped him, I was like, as she should have. And then the fact that the Courtney slap became the really big issue, I was like, guys, obviously anybody in that position would have slapped him too. It just does go to show you, because we were talking last week, how he really was so integrated into the family. And like, I truly believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, at least at this point in Kardashians, and I'm going to go as far as to say, and maybe since forever, there's not any other friends that would have inserted themselves in this way. Larsa would have. Uh, I guess Larsa would have. Okay, Not me- based on merit, but she would have. No, that's what I meant though. That's what I meant based on merit. Like the fact that, yes, obviously Courtney was pissed because Jonathan was out of line, but it's not as though Kim and Chloe were so taken aback that he would insert himself in this way. Like it, it almost felt 
expected. I mean, he took it too far, yes, but the insertion wasn't the thing that they were so shocked by. It felt expected because it's like, there goes Jonathan again, but it wasn't welcome. The only person where I would say if they got involved in a sister fight and like inserted themselves, presumably in a kinder way than Jonathan did, but in the same amount of, you know, opinion and and getting in the middle of something, the only person that can pull that off and have everybody be okay with it is, is Malika. Well, right. I mean, Malika is an OG of the OGs. Well, and also I think that in order for an outsider to get involved in a sister fight and have it be somewhat kosher, it's like all of them have to be on the same page about that individual person. Obviously, one person is going to be closer to them. Obviously, Chloe is the closest to Malika, but Courtney and Kim feel so strongly about Malika being a part of the family that they're on the same page. Jonathan was on the same page. Kim was on the same page. Chloe could have gone either way. Courtney was certainly not on the same page at all. And so that's where the issue arose from, where it's like, Kim understands why Jonathan's inserting himself. For Courtney, it's like, who the fuck does Jonathan continuously think he is doing this? Yeah, and honestly, he was so just objectively out of line here that regardless of where they all viewed him, it wouldn't have flown no matter what. The last thing I just wanted to mention from this episode is when they're at the Cosmo photo shoot. And this is when the Cosmo quiz was a big thing. Like if your favorite celebrity was on the cover, you were always excited to see the quiz. One for the answers, two, because you got to see their handwriting. And Chloe says to Kim, Kim, can I take your Cosmo quiz for you? If I was a man for the day, the first thing I do is dot, dot, dot. And Kim goes, I would say if I were a guy, I'd want to have sex with myself. I would just want to know what it would feel like hitting me from the back. (laughs) Iconic answer. I think that is one of Kim's most iconic lines. And we don't talk about that enough. I was going to say one of the most underratedly iconic. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to go as far as to say an overwhelming moment of self-awareness. Overwhelming moment of self-awareness. You cannot read that answer and have anything negative to say. It's like, yes, that is exactly right. And also funny. Like, this is what we're talking about. That's that's the Kim that hosted SNL. Yes. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen. And every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so now moving on to episode seven. This is another one we're going to breeze through, not so much to analyze. The opening scene, which we did want to mention, is Kim gets a call from one of her friends who tells her that Reggie's girlfriend is pregnant. And Kim says back that she's honestly so happy for him. You know, she feels personally like she's in a really good place. She's genuinely calm, genuinely happy, and she can kind of be happy for him and let that be its own thing. 
the thing was, first of all, I do believe she was genuinely so happy with Kanye that like this didn't rock her in the way that it would have if God forbid she got this news while she was in the throes of it with Chris Humphreys because I think that's enough to put you over the edge. But second of all, I think no matter who you are, no matter what relationship you're in, no matter how little feelings you have for someone, when the person that you thought for a period of time was going to be your forever person has a child with someone else or gets married to someone else, even if you are so overwhelmingly happy, there's still that one second moment of like, oh shit. Oh, absolutely. The thing that I was expecting to come up in this conversation is the fact that his wife looks exactly like Kim. She's an Armenian dancer. There was no way though that Kim was going to say that. I didn't expect Kim to say it, but I expected her friend on the other line on the other line. So 90s. <laughs> so, so. You know what I was picturing? Like the Full House episode when she's like allowed to have her own line. Like that's what I was like, came into yes. my <laughs> Yeah, I thought she was going to mention it. I really do think though that Kim felt so secure in her relationship with Kanye. Like she pretty much knew he was going to be the father of her children. Obviously she didn't know how soon that was going to come. But I don't think this news, like I said, rocked her in the way that it probably would have six months ago. And I think she very consciously recognized that. Like, I think that she knows that had she gotten that call, even when she was with Chris Humphreys, that that would have done something to her. But I think she got that call and had a moment of even surprising herself by how, I don't want to say unaffected she was, because I don't think that that's the right word, but how like calm and at peace and like just genuinely happy for him she was. I'll tell you one thing though. If she had found this out when she was newly married to Chris Humphreys, right? So before the shit really hit the fan, even though one could argue the shit hit the fan prior to them ever getting married. But let's just say in the first few weeks or so, there is nothing that makes you get in touch more with your true feelings on your current relationship than finding out news like this. You know, like that would have brought her back to reality so quick. I could have seen it also going in the other direction though, because when you don't have a kid and that's the thing that you want more than anything else to be married and maybe you're feeling things aren't a hundred percent, but you find out that your ex-boyfriend who you thought you were going to marry is having a kid. It can make you have that moment of like, Oh my God, I have to, I have to get it together. Like I'm married. It's go time. Like I could have seen it going in a much worse direction. Well, also because, you know, one can make the argument that the reason she married Chris Humphreys in the first place was because of exactly that, feeling like her sisters were both settling down, as we've, of course, discussed a million times. Right. Also, the other plot of this episode was Scott and Courtney in Paris. Courtney feels like she wants to do something romantic for Scott. They decide to go on a spontaneous trip to Paris. Scott ends up inviting another couple. Courtney doesn't love it, but she goes with it. This is what I mean. Like, I can't I can't give life to the fact that they had a set plan for Scott to meet her on the lock bridge. Of course he doesn't show up. She's there with Mason. Of course she's disappointed. He takes her back there. It's like, I I, I can't do the song and dance. I can even tell in the way that you're describing it because when I was watching this episode, I was so not necessarily into this trip to Paris and this very obvious plot that occurs where Scott fucks up and then makes it right again. Like that's not necessarily what I was into. It it was more a, the conversation that sparks this trip is Kim and Courtney sitting together. And Kim says to her, you are so neglectful of Scott. He is going to cheat on you and it is going to be your fault. Like flat out, no bullshit. That is 
exactly the way that Kim said that to Courtney. And Courtney has this moment of like, okay, I want to do something for Scott. Like I really have to get it together. Kim is right. Scott, who has been spending this entire season talking about how Courtney never wants to do anything with him. It's never just the two of them. They never can have their moment. His first instinct is like, oh my God, what an amazing idea to go to Paris. Let me invite our friends. Like the sheer fact of the way that both of them are constantly not communicating with each other and like doing whatever the other person is feeling in the moment. Like, I don't know, but it is just so bizarre to witness because at no point does Courtney say, Scott, I plan this trip to Paris. I feel like you and I are a little bit disconnected and that makes me worried. And I know that we've spoken a lot about doing stuff together. Obviously the kids are still going to come with us. Penelope's too young to stay at home, but we'll have moments for just the two of us. And like, I'm doing this trip for that exact reason. At no point in time is that explicitly laid out. At no point in time does Courtney say to Scott, what the fuck do you mean you want to invite our friends? Like that is not the purpose of this trip. So they both just are kind of going with the flow of whatever is going on because they can't have an actual conversation with each other until they're apologizing and and Scott fucked up. Well, the thing that I wanted to mention kind of going off of that is to me, the core of it wasn't even necessarily that Scott wanted alone time with Courtney or more alone time with Courtney, even though that's what he was saying he wanted. It was more so that he was so tired of not doing anything with her, right? Anytime he wanted to go out, anytime he wanted to do anything remotely spontaneous, he had to make that a solo mission or a mission with his friends, one that he ultimately probably ended up getting in trouble for. And so I think he felt that if he you know, were to go to Paris with Courtney and the kids, which is something he wanted to do, that even there, they wouldn't be able to like do the things he wants to do. Whereas if they brought another couple, that would inspire them to go to dinner, to go out. It was almost like a catalyst for recreational activities. It's such a good point because that is what Scott wanted. Like it's, you know, it's not even necessarily that he wanted Courtney with him. Like it's a give or take with, with him and Courtney doing things together. He just wanted the opportunity to do things and get out and have fun without having any ounce of guilt associated with it or any opportunity for getting in trouble. So it almost was like the truth of their relationship is that when they were doing things together that weren't family centric, that was activity centric and going out, It was almost like Courtney was just a fill-in. Well, it was kind of like if you're Scott, this is a cheat code. Cheat code. That's what I wanted to say. Right. Like you hack. Courtney was a system hack. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. If you're Scott, you hack the system. Like you can do the thing you want to do and you are 100% guaranteed to not get in trouble for it because Courtney's there. And the thing that I said last week, which I really felt in this episode too, is that there's a piece of me that feels like Scott almost enjoys fucking up to an extent that he knows he can fix because that's when he almost gets to come in and be even better and even stronger. And what he sees as making their relationship better because they've gone through so much together. Like he almost fucks up on purpose so that he has the opportunity to do that and like show up in that way. Yes, completely. Because that's when he gets the most reward. I said to you, I ain't going to that lock bridge. Bad luck. Yeah. Who was the other one? Oh, Kyle and Mauricio. Mauricio. Yeah. Have you ever been to the lock bridge? Never been to Paris. We have to go. I know. I mean, not to the lock bridge. It's nothing to see, but we have to go to Paris. We can't go. I can't risk a breakup there with you. (laughs) 
<laughs> a marriage is one thing. This, no, no, no. Our whole business goes up in flames. My <laughs> livelihood, no thank you. <laughs> Anything else you want to mention about this one or should we glide our way along to episode eight? I'm down to go to episode eight. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the season changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, they're washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray, and it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray, and Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real, and for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Okay, so moving on to episode eight. This is another one we're kind of going to breeze through just to give you a roadmap. Episode 10 is the next one we're really going to deep dive because there's just a lot there. But in terms of the plot lines here, first of all, Kim gets involved with a private investigator and she helps investigating a case of a missing girl named Farah, which the whole thing is is really a heartbreaking story. And it shows you how even 12 years ago, Kim has very much had an interest in this line of work. Second, we have this explosive fight between Simon and Jonathan. Kim thinks she's helping, mediating. She's not. The whole thing's just an absolute disaster. And then the third plot line, which was just like so hard to watch was Scott and Courtney's kind of disagreement over the way he is treating her about her quote post baby body and quote losing the baby weight. I'm not even going to lie to you. I skipped over a lot of the Courtney and Scott scenes. You mean because it was too hard to watch? Yeah. I had the same experience and honestly it had nothing to do with it being Courtney and Scott. It was more so just the general acknowledgement on 
the fucking audacity of men and the fact that women ever have to deal with this type of shit from their partners. Yes. And I have to say that I've seen prior to watching this episode for this go around of recording, I've seen the clips from this episode circulate on TikTok a little bit. And I understand the one thing that I will say, not that it excuses in any way, shape or form, because like (laughs) how deeply uncomfortable I was even watching the episode clearly goes to show how terrible of a thing it was that Scott was doing to Courtney and what he was saying. I will give one ounce of like, um, understanding that it was very, very indicative of the times. And this was certainly something that was a peak 2012 conversation and a peak early 2000s conversation. So I do think that the timeline of when this happened is slightly important, although it doesn't change anything. But I remember seeing those clips circulate on TikTok and being like, oh, fuck, I kind of forgot about this episode. I think I blacked that out a little bit. And then watching it again and going, oh, this is why I couldn't watch those TikToks. Like, even in the context of this episode, it doesn't make anything better. The whole thing was disgusting. And the fact that he tried to, you know, put it under the guise of, no, I can tell that you really want it. And she's like, I am literally telling you, I feel confident in my body. Leave me alone. And he's like, but you don't. (laughs) Like, I actually can't even talk about it. it. It it really upsets me. And again, it doesn't even upset me, Courtney and Scott specific. They are more so placeholders for a larger conversation about the way men treat women after they literally give birth to their child and still somehow they feel as though they have a right over what their body looks like. It is, it's unfucking believable. It's like, you realize she literally grew a kid and then birthed it and you have anything to say about her body other than how remarkable it is? I honestly, like, I can't. I, I really can't. And I do think that Scott would watch that back, by the way, and be appalled that he said it. But he did say it. Of course he would. Of course he would. It's it's a little—I'm telling you, though, like, yes, obviously we're talking about this because it was this episode and it was appalling and disgusting and, like, there's no justification for it. But— it's it's such a larger conversation. Like this is something women have to deal with. By the way, already they are adjusting to their new bodies, forgetting about anything superficially in terms of how it looks, like literally how it feels. It's not like you give birth and you just go back to everything normal. Of course not. Like that was a massive thing that just happened. And for your partner to be anything other than overwhelmingly in awe of you and your body for what it was just able to do is just inexcusable and unacceptable and hard, really was hard to watch. Yeah. Hard to watch. Like impossible to watch actually. (laughs) So episode nine, number one, Kim just gets back from Italy and she's saying how, you know, Kanye took her for her birthday and it was so romantic. And she's like, yeah, we just did this photo shoot in the middle of the street. Like he just told me to start posing and holding flowers. And she's, you can tell that she is very aware that she is getting her fairy tale. And what I actually think is that she's getting a version of a fairy tale she didn't even necessarily expect. Meaning, I think in all of the times she thought about what she wanted, it was always romantic gestures. It was always over the top. It was always someone who just loved her completely. But I don't think she necessarily anticipated being with someone who was this creative and artistic and had equally as much of a love, if not more, for luxury than she did. Like, I feel like if you're Kim, Kanye hit all the main boxes of what she thought she would get when she envisioned her fairy tale, but then it was like these bonus elements that even she couldn't have anticipated. 
No, M, I know. And the thing here is, I know that every time we have these Kanye conversations, we have the pre-established caveat of like, the Kanye we're talking about at this time, like we have to be able to view it through the 2012 lens. We have to be able to view this relationship for what it was at the time without allowing this version of Kanye to fully, you know, overshadow that because otherwise it would be impossible to talk about. And like, I never want to talk about Kanye in a way that like, completely ignores or even attempts to ignore this version of Kanye because I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. Like less about, you know, the way that other people are hearing it. Like I personally for myself can't do that. But if I am putting myself back in my 2013 body, watching Kim and hearing her talk about this trip to Italy and seeing the behind the scenes photos and hearing about this relationship with Kanye, like at the time, that is exactly how I felt. I was like, this is Kim Kardashian getting her fantasy. Like, I cannot believe a love like this exists. I cannot believe these gestures and this grand of a scale can exist. And it makes sense to me that it is Kim Kardashian on the receiving end of it. And also because not everyone would have been as receptive slash appreciative of that energy slash those like displays of affection as Kim would have. You know what I mean? Like, let's say hypothetically it was Chloe or Courtney dating Kanye. Like they would have hated that. If, if, if imagine POV, you're Courtney, you're in the middle of the streets of Rome with Kanye and he starts taking pictures of you. You're like, what the fuck are you doing? Whereas for Kim, that's all she could ever want. Like I'm with someone who, who also wants to take a photo shoot of me. Right. And it's so funny to watch the rest of the family and specifically Courtney and Chloe have this overwhelming understanding of like, wow, Kim met her match. And not just in the way of like, oh, Kim met her partner, Kim met her match. No, like there is, <laughs> if you take Kim and how materialistic she is and how vain she is and all of those things that yes, come across sounding as negative qualities, but really when it comes to Kim kind of aren't like, there's there's nobody on this planet that could match her in the way that Kanye did. It was almost unbelievable. Well, okay. Like, yes, 1,000 million percent. And also there was a hint of that where it's like, wow, she found someone as unbearable as her. Like, not to me, obviously, but I'm saying if you're Courtney, there was a little bit of that, you know? Totally, totally. Yeah. And and I think that if you're Kim, aside from the the luxury, all of it, it was like, Kim wanted, I think was getting to the point, and I do think Kanye helped her with this, of like viewing herself as this artistic being, like that she herself was a work of art, right? To put it in the most dramatic terms. And the fact that Kanye so wanted to like build that up, I just think for her, it's best case scenario, especially by the way, coming off of Chris. Like <laughs> any everything that Kim wanted was not only not received or understood by Chris, it was so deeply judged. So then to have somebody who was not only not judging those tendencies, was celebrating it, and if anything, was more so than she was, it really is, and I completely hear you, of like, we have to really try to talk about this from the lens of watching it for the first time in 2012, because if you try to do it now, we would be skipping over this episode. And it's, it, is, it is wild. It takes me back. You know, I often have these moments with Kim and Kanye where I see things that occurred in the later part of their relationship where I like, you know, it was still at the point where 
things were starting to to change, but I was still viewing their relationship as this great love story and like this overwhelming power couple. And so sometimes I look back at those moments where I still felt that way about them. And I'm like, why did I feel that way about them at this point in time? Like, I don't think they were doing anything at this point in time that necessarily pointed in that direction that I should have felt that way. But I watched these episodes and I understand how that feeling carried so much stock for years after it probably should have. Yes. And let us not forget, this was, as you said, when North was conceived in none other than the blue bomb on dress. Yep. Which we know, not, not that we didn't know before, but we specifically know when Kim told North that in the meeting with Olivier. It's really crazy to, to know a person you don't know so well <laughs> to the point where they have one second on screen where they say they just got back from Italy and you can immediately go, oh, and you conceived your baby there. Like, that ain't normal. And she doesn't even know at the time? No, there's no way that's normal. No, no, no. There's, no. by the way, there's, pr- pr- I mean, I'm not saying none. I'm sure there is, but not off the top of my head can I think of one other celebrity that I could say that about. Courtney and Travis. <laughs> when they posted those Valentine's yep. Day photos, we went, that's where, that's where Rocky was conceived. Yep. Listen, if you're going to conceive a kid, Italy and Amman, two incredible places. Amen. Amen. This is also the episode where Chloe gets the job as judge of X Factor, which like, these are the moments where it really takes you back because this was not a bit. Like the genuine anxiety she had over whether or not she was going to get this role is so wild to see now. Where it's like, I don't think, I don't think there's enough money you could pay her now to take that. I need, need to talk about the historical implications that it had for Chloe to be a part of this X Factor season. Like, I am not kidding. I f- Did you watch the season of X Factor? So I, to your deep surprise, a little bit. Like not the full thing, but I watched a couple of episodes here and there, yes. Because you wanted to fuck Emblem 3, duh. <laughs> we all did, we all did. It's how you think. I just know that that's why, that's what the reason you watched was. This was one of the most historic seasons of television, of all of TV, reality, not reality, anything, ever. Lives were changed. Lives were changed during this season. Like, and for Chloe to have a piece of it, a part of it, her nipple, Simon Cowell literally talking about how cold it was. And they're like, I, I remember Chloe's nipple. Uh, okay. Same. Also, it's not just to say lives were changed and Chloe had a you know potential part in that. I'm going to say lives were changed and maybe because of Chloe. Who knows what would have happened energetically if she was not the host? No. There is one of the most important moments of that season where Fifth Harmony is on that stage. Like, Fifth Harmony, Normani, Camila Cabello standing there with Chloe. Demi Lovato is a judge, okay? Britney Spears is a judge. And Demi is giving them feedback, non-specific feedback. And Chloe and Demi are fighting a little bit because Demi doesn't want to give the specific feedback and Chloe doesn't let it go. And history was made in that moment when Demi points at Camila Cabello and says, she. Like, I am sorry, Chloe, you're right. She not only had a piece in it, she was a main fucking character for the most iconic season of a television show ever. 
that is, I'm sorry. I like, I feel at peace knowing that. Okay. Absolutely same. First of all, we need to put the link to that clip in the description, just in case hypothetically anyone hasn't seen it, because it is, I'm going to go as far as to say essential viewing. And also, by the way, if you're Camila Cabello, like there has to be some eternal feelings you have towards Chloe. I'm also putting the link for Carly Rose and Claire's audition song in there. One thing about you, you love Carly Rose and Claire's audition song. A talent like we have never heard. And she didn't win. It was, it was, I, I think about Carly Rose and Claire more often than, no, actually, I'm sorry. Not more often. You guys aren't thinking about Carly Rose and Claire enough. I was going to say, do not be saying that to me when... I cannot tell you guys how many times we have taken an edible and Julie's gone. You want to just watch Kylie Rose on a Claire YouTube? <laughs> uh, yeah, because what is better than being high and listening to Carly Rose on a Claire singing Hallelujah? The work music video. True. True. No, different. Just different. Oh, Not necessarily better. <laughs> what do we watch in Florida? I'm the one. Yeah, I'm the one. Well, the best lineup is the I'm the one into no brainer into pop star. Yeah, if you got, what, 15 minutes on your hands, highly recommend. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. You're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. Apartments.com believes a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because... You just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. The last plot of this episode is more of just... Scott being the Lord. Basically, Kim, Chloe, and Courtney go to London to launch the Kardashian collection UK. Scott stays home, ends up throwing this kind of Lord-themed party. But I just got to say for one second, nothing takes me back like the Kardashian collection mention. I mean, the fact that they had a Sears line and that we are now 
in the skims, good American, I'll even throw Kai in to be nice era. Like shit, shit comes at you fast. Life comes at you really fucking fast. Oh, I meant to tell you this. Do you guys remember it was like a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about how I would do anything for Kim to redrop those cargo pants. You obviously know the ones I'm talking about, Julie. Yes. So she did not drop those, but she dropped the cargo sweatpants. I'm telling you right now, game changer. I almost don't want to say it. Not that me saying it would make them sell out, but like you have to buy them, but also wait till I buy a few more. (laughs) 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 They're so good. They're my new plane pants. I would order a couple before we drop this episode. You've got about 24 hours, so. (laughs) And best part, they come in periwinkle, which you know how I feel about periwinkle. Oh my God. It's like, I know. sometimes God has favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, as I mentioned, while Scott stays home before ultimately deciding that he's bored and wants to go meet them, he throws this Lord inspired party, which is just like, you know, I have to say, this was not like, mom, it's a phase. Like, Scott really committed to the Lord lifestyle and he has kept it strong for the last 12 years. I was just going to say, I feel like one of the most important things to us in our life is like a truly excellent commitment to a bit. Mm -hmm. And he committed in a way that I think took a lot of A, commitment, (laughs) B, energy, money, like uh, planning, like he put the fucking work in for this Lord title. Like, you know, the because by the way, the last time they were in London is when the Lord title came to be Kanye and Kim were just starting dating and he was there. They were going to his concert, like, you know, and you see the way that things come along in a couple of months from, from that standpoint. And still now, like we got that Lord persona going strong and I love that for him. I think it gave Scott something that he was missing and I can appreciate in a very profound way his ability to stick with that. I mean, he still let the Lord be with you. And let me just go on record and say, I don't foresee this being a Stasi baby situation, you know, where all of a sudden a time hits, a certain follower number hits, and now she's first name, last name, comes out of left field. Like the day that I see at Scott Disick on my Instagram, it's going to be a rough day. I hope that doesn't come. That day will never come. And if we're being really honest with ourselves and with Stas, the day that Stassi baby went away should have never come either. Oh, and amen to that. Yeah. Amen to that. I miss it. I miss it every day, Julie. <laughs> no, Carly Rose Honecker should re-audition for The Voice and, and sing Stassi Day as her audition song. That will make her famous. By the way, try telling that to a Victorian child. Immediate fucking Carly. coma. Carly Rose Honecker now singing <laughs> Stassi Day. Stassi Day. Stassi Day, By sorry. Olivia O'Brien. No, I can't. <sighs> well... Again, here we are thinking we're going to get through six episodes and we got through what, four? I, again, paint me surprised. Like, (laughs) duh. Call me shocked. Like, of course we're here. I love talking to you. Sue me. I don't think that was ever the question. (laughs) By the way, I'm never the one that thinks that we can't stretch it out. 
you're the one that has some concerns about our ability to do so. But again, we are dealing with the glory days of Kardashian. We are dealing with Scott and Courtney. We are dealing with Chloe hanging around Miami, not really mentioning Lamar. And then we're talking about more than anything else, Kim and Kanye in this era of their new relationship. And just a little teaser for next week, episode 10 is when Kim starts feeling the pressure of the fashion critics because she feels as though it reflects poorly on Kanye. So she starts getting into this excessive spending habits. The Everyone's concerned about her. It puts her house into jeopardy. Like, talk about the glory days. I can't wait. I obviously can't wait. I think that's it. We love you guys. Thank you for listening and letting us do this. And we'll see you later this week for Bravo. Let's talk about baby making for a second, because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be. Meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Frida Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you.